0: take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're starting a new series, if you want to call it. It's not really a series. We're just going to go through the, the book of Genesis. We finished first uh, Peter and I thought we would do something from the Old Testament. We're going to uh, start with just doing the first 11 chapters. We won't take the whole book of Genesis. Uh, but we'll, we'll do the first 11 chapters, um, as we and that'll be our uh, new uh, book as we go through this. And I would encourage you to, uh, throughout the week, to read this section, read those first 11 verses, get familiar with this passage as we preach through this, and as we go through this ourselves as a congregation, and uh, see what God has said. Today we're just going to look at one verse. Say So you'll say, well, that should be a short sermon, right? just one verse. Well, you know better than that, don't you? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. You are so precious to us. You are so kind and gracious from the very beginning, Lord. You are... You have been kind to man. We deserve nothing but hell. Nothing but death. Separation forever. Eternal damnation. But Lord, you've been gracious. Thank you that today we can sing about your faithfulness and your grace in our life. Lord, I pray that as we've gathered today, I pray that you would speak through your word. I pray that we would understand this passage with clarity. That you would illumine. Us with your through the Holy Spirit to understand this and the implications of this verse, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, by very position uh, in Scripture, we would understand that this is an important sentence in Scripture. Um. Henry Morris has pointed out he is a creation research scientist. He'd actually taught at Virginia Tech for, for many years before he started creation research. And California established that he is no longer living. But he's just a brilliant mind. And he, he did a great commentary on the book of Genesis recorded. Uh, the Genesis record is what it's called. And, and that and concerning this particular verse, he was pointing out that because of just the p- placement of this verse... This is probably the most read verse in all of history, in all the history of man. This is the first book that was recorded, the first part of it, the Genesis. Then you have the whole Pentateuch, and they would have read it back then. This is the most printed book of all of the books that have ever been printed. It's the most read book and the most reread book and if you start at the beginning this is the verse that you're going to to read. You may not get past much of this but you're going to read the first the first verse. And it has a high position, very important place here. The thing is is when you read it it sounds kind of plain. At least it did to me when I first read this I just Thing. Man, this should be in neon lights. There should be some thunder in the background or lightning striking somewhere or, or, or something. And I, I went into it with just, just fervor, looking at every verse, turning over something that I thought, man, this is going to be incredible. This is going to be something, uh, something new. And I really didn't find anything new. It is what it is. It's not splashy. It's just reality. It is just a statement of fact. I looked at every word, all the vocabulary. I just pulled it together and pieced just the phrases. Tried to pull it all together and and see what I got. And, and, And it's just a simple summary of the first six days of creation. And that's what you have. It's a statement of facts, a declarative statement. But it also does one thing. It introduces us to the true and living God. Moses had the privilege of introducing the true and living God not only to Israel, but to the rest of the world. How do you introduce God? I looked at the word God and and think, well, man, Elohim, you know, and we place that on a a high level priority and I looked into all of that but, but it 's just the typical word for God. it would have been used outside of scripture it would have been used for other things with people with high positions or maybe the gods of the gods of the Egyptians just gods it 's a kind of a generic term for God. the emphasis wasn 't there there was no flashing light there there's there's no bells going off or anything with that it's, Again, a little disappointing. And the question is, how do you introduce God? I looked up just introductions. and You can Google that. How do you introduce someone? And there's a list of things. I thought these were pretty interesting. Number one, here's what you need to do. You need to remind the audience. An introduction reminds the audience of why the topic is important to them. Okay? Why is it important? Number two, they said, it establishes the speaker's credibility to speak on the particular topic. Number three, it presents, uh, or it gets the presentation off to a a high note, on a high note, and and establishes an an upbeat uh, tone. Or number four, it makes the speaker feel appreciated and welcomed. And I think, well... No, Moses really wasn't trying to do that. He, you look up Harvard Business School and, you know, they're going to know how to introduce someone. And, and here's what they said. Here's the purpose of an introduction concern, uh, from Harvard Business School. They said, number one is to transition the audience from what they are looking at or what they're thinking about on and focus on the attention onto the speaker. Again, uh, again neon lights, uh, get their attention. Number two, it said to to show the audience that you personally endorse the credibility of the speaker. Number three, they said, well, to create intrigue and excitement about what the speaker is going to deliver. And I look at these things and I think, Moses really doesn't do any of those things. He he doesn't really try to, in some flashy way, get our attention or, or draw attention to any of this. He simply declares a statement. A statement of fact. It's truth. He didn't try to prove the existence of God. He didn't try to defend God in any way. He didn't try to explain Him. And explain, describe Him or anything like that. He doesn't play any kind of games. He just spoke truth. Just spoke declarative statement. Here's the facts. In fact... it's calling for faith right at the beginning. You know, this is an act of faith. Right from the get-go. And some will believe Moses' words. Some will not believe Moses' words. The, the sinner is just going to ignore uh, in their ungodliness. The fool is going to just pretend it doesn't, he doesn't exist. He's going to say in his heart, Oh, no, there's no God. Moses knows those things. The listener has to decide for themselves. They have to take this step of faith. Do they believe this or are they going to reject this statement? It's a simple declarative statement. Now, to understand the significance and understand the importance, and we need to look at the context, right? Context is important. There's nothing before this. What's the context here? And we'll look at the setting, and then we'll look at the sentence. And that's the way we'll divide our thoughts today. Just the setting, and then the sentence. So we'll look at the setting first. Here's the... The author is Moses. I've already gave that away. Christ uh, gave the author, authorship to to Moses in Luke chapter 20, 24. We won't take time to look at that. Moses wrote... And, and Genesis is just this, the first book... Of five books that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And those five books make up the Pentateuch. And they were written the last 40 years of Moses' life. And Genesis, of course, is the first first of those books. In fact, the entire book of Genesis uh, took place before Moses was even born. And you don't see Moses' birth until the first of Exodus. Content... Uh, or the context here is best described, if you want to turn over there, Exodus chapter 24. This kind of puts it in a context. Exodus chapter 24. We have God has called Israel out of Egypt. Moses went in, took, uh, led e- Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves there. God puts their his hand on them and calls them out. They are now in Mount Sinai. And we see in verse 24, verse 1, chapter 24, verse 1, then he said, that's God, to Moses, come up to the Lord and you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. I'm going to let you come close. You can bring, you can bring the elders, uh, Aaron, the priests, but Moses alone, verse 2, Moses alone forever, uh, or however, shall come near to the Lord. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up within. Now remember the circumstance? What, what was on that mountain? Fire, trembling, earth, like an earthquake, uh, lightning striking. And what was scary to the people in the first place? And, and then Moses had to go a little bit even further. So Moses goes up, verse 3, then Moses came. He comes back then and he recounts to the people all the words of the Lord. Okay, so that's the, first, that's the first part right here. He recounts whatever he received from the Lord. He recounts it to the children of Israel. He says, here's what God said. And in verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he built an altar, verse 7. He then took the book, the book that was written down in, uh, the book of the covenant, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Okay, that's the children of Israel just coming out. God has his hand on them. He has claimed them as a nation And that's the context. Moses goes up, receives this message from God, and and that's kind of the point. This is not Moses' message. It's God's message to the people. And Moses was just the carrier. Moses was the carrier. And what do we know about Moses? Well, if you want to look over just a few more pages, Deuteronomy at the end of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy chapter 31 We see that Moses completes the work in chapter 31, verse 24. He says this. It came about when Moses finished writing the word. So those 40 years that they were in the wilderness... Moses was recording all of these things. He would go up. He would have conversations with God. He would come back. He would record these things down. He would then share this with the, the uh, children of Israel. And he said when his, he would finish recording all the words of the law in the book until they had completed. So it was completed. The Pentateuch was completed. Verse 25. Now listen to this. This is interesting. Then Moses commanded the Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant Or who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, where God, uh, Lord our God, that it may remind uh, that it remained there as a witness against them. Now that's interesting. This book, this Pentateuch, is going to be a witness against Israel. For I know your rebellion, he says, and your stubbornness. Behold! While I was still alive, you were uh, with you today. You have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more then after my death? Wow! Thanks a lot, Moses. Moses was the leader. He knew the heart of people. He had de- dealt with them, and and over the life of Moses, those forty years of wandering in the wilderness, he's recording these things. And then Moses passes away at the end of Deuteronomy. Verse chapter thirty four we can read so the Moses of the uh, Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord And he was buried verse seven although Moses was a hundred and twenty years old then he died his eyes or when he died his eyes was not dim nor his vigor abated and they wept they loved this leader he was a godly man he proved himself. Now, we place the dating of that at about 1405 B.C., 1,400 years before Christ. Moses records these things, passes away, and he leaves this record as a, as a memorial, as a witness against the children of Israel. And what do we know about Moses? He's the author here. What do we know about him? We're beginning to see the context Moses was raised in the palace of Egypt. Remember that. And it would have been at the height of Egyptian power. He was raised as a grandson of Pharaoh. And obviously he would have been educated in the highest schools of the land in Egypt. Moses's life could have been divided up into three segments. Three segments of 40 years. The first 40 years would have been in that palace setting. Moses choose, though, chose to... To be with, when he began to see the plight of the Hebrews, the uh, uh, Israelites, he he began to gravitate toward them. The second forty years, Moses uh, was in the wilderness, and he was shepherding sheep, and he had to leave Egypt. He was fled Egypt because he had murdered a man, so he is a fugitive. So those second forty years he spent as a shepherd. And then those last 40 years, from 80 to 120 before he died, those last 40 years, was wandering in the wilderness with these obstinate people, these rebellious people. Now, the theme of Moses' book here, the theme that runs throughout is found in Genesis chapter 12. I want you to turn there, Genesis chapter 12. Again, establishing the context of this first verse, first sentence. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's going to be some hope there. And that's the theme that runs through the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that's the hope. This Messiah that's going to come, this Messianic line is established here. The foundation of that is established so that man could be redeemed, so that God can be glorified. And our focus is going to be in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And in those first 11 chapters, what's happening is God is being introduced. Who is this God? What is he like? What is his character? What are his, his uh, abilities, his power? We see the introduction of God at the very first, the very beginning. What's the purpose of all of this? What's the purpose of this book that Moses wrote? Let me give you, again, just some background here. What's, what's taking place? Number one. Moses is writing these things so it can establish God's claim upon the nation of Israel to be God's people. It started from one family, one man, one family. 70 people went down into Egypt. They mushroomed into a nation of 2 million plus people coming out. They became a nation. And they were God's people. God's people. God had his claim on their life. That's going to change everything. Number two. Number two it's to provide a a history. Every nation has to have a history. To provide a a context in which they live and and they understand. It it, it provides the laws and the customs and the the religion for this new nation. Number three, it corrects a lot of the myths and a, a lot of the... And dispels a lot of the false teaching they would have picked up in Egypt and all the nations around. Moses had to correct a lot of the bad thinking. Number four, it informed Israel of the spiritual battle that's going on. Outside of the physical realm, there is the kingdom of man who is being led about by Satan, and you have the kingdom of God in this book, these books, introduce. Uh, It introduces the nation of Israel to what's going on spiritually. And number five, it introduces the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, to the God who creates. The God of creation. Now, just picture this. This is God. All of a sudden, the nation of Israel, they're they're just slaves working away. And all of a sudden, God just burst into their life. After 400 years of being enslaved or being in Egypt, he bursts onto the scene. Now, their lives were interrupted. Uh, th- think about that. We don't like it when our lives are interrupted. We don't even like it when our TV shows are interrupted, right? A commercial comes on the TV. Ah oh, man, I hate commercials. Or we're going through our day, and maybe a fire alarm is tripped and, and our day is, is interrupted. Everything is, is thrown off schedule. That's what it was was happening here. And they didn't know how. They didn't know why this man Moses comes. Well, we need to follow him. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let's follow him. They followed him out. It was an act of faith on their part. They didn't know all of the, they hadn't developed this, the character of this God. They didn't know much about him. They knew some. Uh, There's a warning, I think, for us here God's at work. And when God is at work, he, he, he claims a life. He claims a nation. He just bursts into their life. Their life changes. There's a new reality that has to set in. And sometimes that takes time. The mind has to be renewed. It was thinking one way. It was, had it one old habit this way. And then it has to renew and, and start thinking a whole new way. And for the the Israelites, it started with one Thought and that is God created the heaven and the earth from the very beginning. That's the same thing with us, isn't it? We, we come in to the church. God gets a hold of our life. That changes things. We come in, but we have to renew our mind. We have to change our thinking because God has interrupted our lives and, and now we see things in a new reality. So this is, this is, this is the first fact first fact that we have to wrestle with in renewing our mind and and putting off old thinking habits and putting on new thinking habits. And that begins the sanctifying process isn't it? And John chapter 17 Christ said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This is truth. This is truth that's that's being given to the nation of Israel. And as Christians we have to do the same thing there's a danger of us here's the danger it's a danger of us living as though god does not exist there's a danger of us living as though god has not spoken there's a danger that we that we live and that his speaking has no bearing on our life. Folks, that's a danger. We can live our lives as though God doesn't exist, as though He hasn't spoken, and as just as whatever He spoke, well, it doesn't really apply to my life anyway. That is a danger. The red light should be coming on in our minds. It's a danger. Why? Because that's exactly the way the world lives. They live as though God does not exist. When when God comes into a life at new birth, it changes everything and our thinking has to change and our thinking has to conform with the truth of God's Word. That's sanctification. That's renewing the mind. We cannot live as though nothing happened. We dare not, we dare not, we dare not bring the old life into the Christian life. It's all new. It's all different, completely different thinking. And so the setting here, the first verse in Scripture, the setting here is the foundation of Israel. They have to change their thinking and have to interject this thinking that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And that's the first fact that Moses felt they needed to know. They needed to understand. So that's the setting. That's the setting. Let's look at the sentence. Let's look at this closely a little bit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, it's Rashid Barah Elohim. It's just a short declarative sentence. And with that short declarative sentence, Moses is introducing God to the Israelites, introducing God to the world. The Israelites had already seen God, right? They didn't see God, but they... They saw the effects of God. They saw the thunder and lightning. They saw that that mountain quake. They they didn't want anything to do with that. They're pulling back. Make Moses go up there. That's scary stuff. They saw the rumbling of the mountain and the lightning and the fire. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. It kind of reminds us, this little introduction, of when God introduces himself to Moses. Do you remember that? When God introduces himself to Moses. Exodus chapter 3. Turn over there. This is so good. How do you introduce God? How does God introduce himself to Moses? Let me show you this. And this is the passage that was read for us earlier. Exodus chapter 3 verse, verse 5. He says, um, you, know, you know the circumstance there. Moses is out in the wilderness. And he's, you know, this is his turf. He knows this area he sees this um, he's got his sheep with him but he sees this uh, bush that's on fire but it's not really being consumed so he goes and looks at it and God speaks to him from the bush and he and God says um, it says do not verse 5 it says do not come near remove the sandals from your feet for the place in which you stand is holy ground what made it holy ground was God was there this is serious stuff Moses and he says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then, then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses had heard about this God. Maybe there were some, some stories trickled down those 400 years. And Moses remembers, oh my, not that God. The true and living God and so god god uh, introduces himself to moses in that way god commissions moses you're going to go to pharaoh and you know the story it was read for us verse 13 in the same chapter moses is is trying to get out of it and and god is saying no you're not getting out of it in verse 13 moses said to god behold i'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? You know what he's asking? How should I introduce you? What do I say? What is your name? And God says, and you can almost hear the mountain shake or the, the... The burning bush shake right here. He says, for God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. That's enough. That's all you need to know, Abraham. I am has sent. And then at the end of verse 15, he says, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial name. It's just I am. It's not really a name at all, is it? It's kind of kind of confusing. the The Israelites they would have, or the uh, Egyptians they would have had a name for all of their gods. They would have known those names. They would have known, you know, this this god, uh, uh, Horus. This uh, he, he's kind of the the kingship of all of the gods is the sky god, and and uh, then you have uh, Osiris, the the god of fertility and life, and you have Ra, the sun god, and H- Hathor the Uh, The sky goddess. They would have had names. And God says with this I am. The the self-existent one. The eternal one. the, The one that has obviously in this passage. Has power to create the heaven and the earth. Has the wisdom to create the heaven and the earth. Has the sufficiency and the eternality of being outside time. He's the one that created. And here's the picture. It's as though God is frustrated with, with Moses. He says, I will not be defined by your labels. I will not be defined by your labels. All the other gods, well, they had names, but they were existing in the, in the fantasy life, in the, in the imaginations of, of people, and then they would carve them out, and they would set them on the shelves. And God says, I will not be put into that category. In fact, we know, he says, you are not to have any graven image. Even the image of God in our mind, folks, is important. It has to be accurate, the true and living God. And with this statement, the I am, he says, I am the ultimate reality, folks. Do you understand the concept? Do you understand the the, the idea of this I am? It's just mind-blowing. Let me ask you, though. Is the image that we have in our mind of God, is that important? It is. He he says, there shall be no graven image, no likeness of any kind. Don't try to put me into those categories. I will be defined, God is saying, I will be defined by my actions, by my mighty deeds, by my character, by my attributes, by what I do. That will define me. That will define me. Not some label, He is not going to be minimized. He is not going to be discarded. He is not going to be put on a shelf. We did not create God. He created us. And He is the central of all reality. Everything and every person fits into Him and His sphere. We find our reality in Him. In a relationship and with him, he is the hub of this universe. Everything else is just add-on. That's the idea. <clears throat> Where are you in your relationship with God? That's your identity. So Moses is introducing God with not flowery words. He doesn't need to. He, he doesn't need any flashing neon signs. He doesn't need to puff up God. He doesn't need God. Doesn't need Moses' endorsement here. not trying to boost God at all. How is the President of the United States introduced on the House floor? It's simple, isn't it? Simple, no flowery introduction. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Why? This is President of the United States. Man, He should have all the accolades and everything. Don't need them. You don't need them. It's all implied in the title. It's all implied in the office that He holds. It has weight. It has gravitas. It has credibility just within that. This is the God who created the heaven and the earth. Enough said. It just rests on the facts. Not on the fluff. Not on the flashy. In the beginning, God and Moses Uses that statement. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's God's rightful place. Now here's the deal. This is His universe. He's got the title deed. He owns it. This is His world. Moses burst in. I mean God burst in onto the scene. In all of His glory. And he says, this is my universe. This is my universe. And I'll be defined with the reality that I want to be defined with. And this world belongs to me. And you're squatters. And you are owing. And you have a debt. Besides that, you're rebellious. And you're complainers. How does godly men apply this? How does godly men apply this little statement from the, from the uh, from scripture? Godly men. Let me show you. I have a, just a list of these verses. We'll see how far we can get. So I want to just give you some of these verses. David says this. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains. You have founded them. David understood the significance of these this first sentence. It, it's God's. This is God's universe. He has the sovereign right. He has the, the the title deed of this world. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. See it on the screen there. The God who made the world and all that it is that is in it. <clears throat> Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell with, in temples made with hands. You see what God, uh, Paul is doing here? He is introducing God to these ungodly pagan people. He says, you're worshiping the wrong God. He's not a God of material substance. And he goes back to, the, he's the one that created the heaven and the earth. Now, here's here's the deal. When we we talk to people, really one of the first things that we should say is, you know what? You're living in God's world. This is God's world. the, The air that you're borrowing, that's His air. The water that you're drinking, the house that you live in, this is His world. All that it contains, it's His. What's your relationship with Him? That's what Paul's doing here. He's just connecting them to the God of the universe. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, you see that passage. Paul says this. He says, Since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The way Paul used this verse is, You know what? In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. You should see God. And because He is created you are without excuse you have no excuse on hebrews chapter 3 in verse uh, hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 the author of hebrews points out that this is a matter of faith he says by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of god <clears throat> so that what is seen has not been made with things which are visible it's an act of faith on our part and we choose to accept, we choose to believe this, this first little sentence here. It's a, a statement of fact. It, it doesn't have to, to, to be flowery, it doesn't have to be great. It's just a fact. It's a fact. We don't even know how to handle facts anymore in this, in this world. God uses this same statement with Job. Let me show you this one Job chapter 34, verse 4, chapter 38, verse 4. God used this fact with Job. Kind of put Job back in his place. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Psalm chapter 103 verse 25. David used it to to praise the Lord. Oh, he says, of old you founded the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. And that's giving praise to God. Isaiah used it to bolster God's judgment upon Israel. He says, thus the Lord, your God, who created the heaven and the earth, stretched it out. And we can just go on and on. You see, there's more and more places on Scripture. Let me show you just the one last one now. If you could skip to the last a little slide. Revelation chapter 4. Because <clears throat> this is so important. John understood, <clears throat> understood this, and he's <clears throat> looking into the future, and he sees the scroll that, that needs to be opened, but nobody's worthy to take the title deed of the, the earth and, and open that and, <clears throat> and claim that. And it says in Revelation chapter 4, Worthy are you, O Lord. And this is talking about Christ and our God. To receive glory and power, honor and power. Why? For you created everything. This is yours. You created everything. You created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. He has the right over this universe, folks. Now, let's just quickly apply this. Quickly apply this. <clears throat> we have one message to the world. Really? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and you are under obligation to him. What are you going to say to the creator of the universe? They're going to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But that's our message, folks. The good news then is Christ. Christ comes in. We have the good news of the gospel, but it has to start with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Number two, another application. We're to have no graven graven images. In our theology, what we like to do is just label God. And I understand, and it's important to do these things, but we'll label God. We'll see all of His attributes. We'll kind of list them. But when you do that, and this just strict theology without putting... When you do that, it's so easy to put that in a little box and put that over here, put that on the shelf, and just save that for later, put put God in some kind of label. Label him, label him the correct way, and it just kind of set him aside. We've got that God figured out. That's mentalizing God. It's putting him on the shelf. His name is not to be done that way. <clears throat> he is the owner. He is real. He is a living and true God. He exists. Let me just say one last thing. (laughs) That this universe has a beginning. It has a beginning. And it's also going to have an ending. This is temporal. God calls us to an eternal. He calls us to eternal life. Eternal life. So we have the setting. We have the sentence there. How are you going to apply this to your life? Do you ever just label God, oh, I've got Him figured out put Him on, a, on the shelf? Or do you have a real relationship with the true and, and living God? We have the privilege, folks, of introducing God to the world. Do we ever just think to start right there? Creation? Now, that's controversial today. I, I know it, everybody's bought into the evolution thing. But you know what? I call people to repent. God, you are in God's universe. That's what Moses was doing here. Just a statement of fact. One of the things that that connect all of the world, all of the people of the world, is that we were created by God. You can go any place and say, hey, you're created by God. You have an obligation to God. You're messing up God's world. We have a message to the world it starts with this sentence. This sentence is so incredibly important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? Or do you not believe that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, <clears throat> what a simple little sentence. But the reality behind that sentence is amazing, it changes everything. So much so that our our minds have to be renewed and we have to shift our thinking and and include you in our life. And and so often we just are like the world and just go on our happy, merry way and, and pretend that you don't exist. Pretend that you haven't spoken. Pretend that what you have to say really has no bearing on my life anyway. Oh God, help us to understand the significance of this statement—that you are the creator of this universe. Lord, may there be a humility that is produced in our hearts as a result of our meditation on this verse. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. We we dare not take your oxygen for granted, your sun for granted, your moon. We dare not take our life for granted. You. You give us these things. You're so gracious. This is your universe. May we be thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.